from Proverbs 9, 1 through 18. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beast. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house and takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. I remember when Kim and I were on our honeymoon years ago, we went to a a resort just south of Cancun, Mexico. And on the last day of our trip, we decided to leave the resort and go about 40 minutes north to Cancun to go shopping in Cancun and to, to hang out at the beach. And we had uh, planned on it being a very relaxing day. It wasn't so relaxing. And here's why. There were, there were two problems. Uh, number one, we were clearly Caucasian and tourists. And number two is we had these uh, very bright pink bracelets on, brighter than this shirt. They were outrageously bright and fluorescent that the, that the resort had given us so that we would always have access to the restaurants within the resort. And so we arrive in the streets of Cancun, Caucasian, tourist with big, big pink bracelets that screamed, honeymooners, honeymooners. And so we're walking the street and there were people lining the street with booths and stores that were constantly calling us aggressively. And if you've been to something like this, you know, aggressively calling us to come and purchase something from them, from chicle to purses to whatever it may be. And you know, I'm, I tend to be too nice. And so early on, on this journey down the streets of Cancun, I would look each person in the eye and I'd smile at them and I'd say, oh, no thanks, which that was almost like blood in the water for sharks, right? I gave them eye contact. And so they would get more aggressive. And finally, by the end of it, I had, I had learned, you just don't look at them. You ignore them. You'd be incredibly rude. So I learned quickly how to be rude. But there was constantly the, this invitation. It's almost like if you've been to a, a, a city with a historic downtown, like uh, maybe Savannah up there on the river or Charleston, you know, you're walking along and there's people standing outside the restaurants 
and they're inviting you to come in and eat, and they're handing you coupons, right? Okay, that's the word picture that I want you to have as we read and as we go through Proverbs chapter 9. This is a chapter about two invitations, two invitations to eat at very different banquets. You see, at every moment of every day, our hearts are feasting on something. Because at every moment of every day, our hearts are hungry. And so our hearts can feast on on money. Our hearts can can feast on a career. Uh, Our hearts can can feast on sexuality. Our hearts can feast on success. Our hearts can feast on what other people think of us. I mean, there's a myriad of things that our hearts feast on. So what we have here is two invitations to us, to our hearts, calling us to come and eat, calling us to come to a banquet. And what we're going to look at here is the two banquets and then ask the question, how do you know which banquet you're eating at? So let's start with the first banquet. It's the first six verses, and it's the banquet of wisdom. And as we look at this banquet, I want to answer the question, or or at least discuss who's the hostess, what's the home, what's the menu, what's the invitation, right? So first, in the banquet of wisdom, who's the hostess and what is the home? Look at verse one. It says wisdom, or, or lady wisdom, has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars, now, the word built here, it means to, to bring something to, into existence that hasn't, been, that hasn't existed before. It, it's creative. And it means by expert craftsmanship, right? So it's describing Lady Wisdom with creative power, bringing something into existence and doing it beautifully, right? With seven pillars. This, this is a, a, an image that should connote this vast, grand, stately home. And the number seven in the Bible symbolizing perfection means that this this is a place that has plenty of room for all the guests, for many guests. What I want you to see here is that you've got Lady Wisdom building this, um, just this palatial, beautiful place. Think here uh, a custom-built home versus a cookie-cutter home in a neighborhood that a builder throws up. That that difference, right? What is described here is Lady Wisdom is building something with great intentionality and great purpose that every corner of the the house, everything is done with, with great purpose to prepare for the guests that are coming. There's really a strong parallel here between this and, and John 14, 2, where Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And we've talked about wisdom is, is not just a principle, it's a person, right? And, and, and the scriptures are clear that wisdom is personified or it's brought to life in the person of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ prepares a place for us. My wife and I, um, this was back before we were married, we were just dating and we had developed a friendship with this couple and, and, and they invited us to their house for the weekend. And so we traveled to their house. And when we got there, they had two rooms, and their house was beautiful. They had two rooms set up um, for us 
with, with welcome baskets in each room. And, and, and they were, it was very clear that the, what was in the basket matched who we were. They knew us. And even the rest of the house, it was so clear that they had prepared their home for us to come and have a refreshing and a relaxing weekend. That Jesus Christ, who is wisdom from God, 1 Corinthians 1, that, that he prepares a place for us. And that as he invites us to his banquet, he wants you to know who he is as a host and what his home is like. He invites us into something, something beautiful. So host is home. Third, the menu. What's on, what's on the menu at this banquet of wisdom? Look at verse two. It says, she has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. Okay, this isn't a frozen dinner. <laughs> this is no TV dinner. Uh, this is not even what I've done before, which is you go to the store and you buy something from the store and then you remove the store packaging and you put it in a nice bowl. Makes it look like you've slaved hours for it. No, that, this is not what is spoken of here. This is, she slaughtered the animal. She's preparing and, and cooking this meat to perfection. She's mixed her wine. What's that mean? It probably means that, that, that herbs have been added to make it tasty and enjoyable. This is a feast that is uh, beyond any you've ever tasted or experienced before. What's described here is meant to be a description of something that is so satisfying. This is a meal that when you get done, you loosen the belt buckle. I mean, it is everything fulfilling, satisfying to the nth degree. It's what this banquet of wisdom is. Ultimate satisfaction. And then, and then fourth, the invitation. How are you invited to this feast of wisdom? Look at verse five. Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live. Come in, taste and savor, and leave your simple ways. Now, the, 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 the taste and savor, that's Psalm 34, 8 language, right? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Come in. This isn't a fast food meal. This is a meal where you come, it's a seven-course meal. You come in and you sit down and you don't rush through a meal like this. You just sit and you taste and you enjoy every last bit of it. And to do that, Lady Wisdom says, guess what? You have to leave your simple ways. Now, what does this mean? Well, I said last week, that word simple uh, shows up throughout the book of Proverbs and it means the gullible or, or someone who's easily misled or someone who is easily persuaded. It's describing someone who is lacking purpose in life. It's, it's describing someone who is uh, ungrounded. And I will say this, that if, if you are um, ungrounded, meaning you don't have roots, that you, you don't really have purpose, you just kind of meander through life, this world will eat you up, right? Because at every turn, right, at every turn, the world is offering something to enhance your life, something to make your, your, your world happier, and if you're not grounded, what happens is at every turn, it's kind of like when I was walking down the streets of Cancun, right? You just turn and say yes to everything because you're ungrounded. You want happiness, you want joy, you want fulfillment. And so what it turns into, an ungrounded life turns into a frenzied life. Frenzied and wearisome. Now those two words, I think will resonate 
with a lot of you. A weary life, a frenzied life. It's a life that says, you know, my, my kids have to have the best education. They have to be in the best school. My kids have to be in every possible extracurricular activity to, to build out their talents and, and to develop them so they're successful and get a college scholarship and on and on. It's, it's I have to say yes to every development opportunity at work to advance. Every one of them. I have to say yes to every possible advancement, every development opportunity. Um, it's it's uh, I have to say yes, or we have to say yes to every social invitation, party invitation, because we have to be well-versed in our social life. It is a frenzied life. I'm tired even talking about it. Where, where you're ungrounded, that's what simple means. Ungrounded, easily persuaded, saying yes to everything, and it leaves you tired. Jesus says in Matthew 11, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. In other words, all who are frenzied, ungrounded, saying yes to everything, tired, weary. He says, I'll, I'll give you rest. He says, will you come and will you sit with me for a long, delicious, soul-satisfying meal? That's what's on the menu at the banquet of wisdom. And that's what the invitation is like. Now let's, let's look at the banquet of folly. So if that's the banquet of wisdom that you're invited to, what's the banquet of folly? Now this is described in verses 13 to 18. And I want you to see how this is vastly different. These banquets are very, very different. Verse 13, first let's look at the hostess. Again, hostess, home, menu, invitation. First, the hostess, verse 13. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. What does that mean? It means that she's loud. Spoke about it last week. Uh, sin is loud. Idolatry is loud. You don't have to bend your ear to try to hear it. It, it is everywhere, okay? She's loud. She's seductive. What does that mean? That she'll do whatever it takes to lure you in. And she knows nothing. Now, that doesn't mean she has no mental knowledge or that she's dumb. It just, it means that she has no morals and no values. So what you have here is a description, is a, a narcissist without any conscience. That's a bad combination. That means that she will do whatever it takes and say whatever you want to hear with no values, no morality to get you into her banquet, which we're going to see later ends in a very bad place. She's a, she's a shell of a person. She's a shell of a person with nothing on the inside. All show on the outside. And it's very similar to her house, right? So let's get to the home. What's the inside uh, of the home look like? Lady Folly's home. Well, <laughs> there's not much there. Other than verse 18, when we get to a bunch of dead bodies. And we'll talk about that in a second. But you look at Lady Wisdom, and she, she builds her home. It's seven pillars. It describes this just palatial place. It's beautiful. Lady Folly, there's no description of what's in her home. She's loud. And she puts it out there to come in, but there's nothing once you get in. It, it's almost like uh, seeing a Hollywood movie set. Or if you've been to uh, Hollywood Studios in Orlando, there's that part where you're, you're walking down the street and you look like you're walking into like New York City, right? It's this, you know, skyscrapers and there's this road that looks like it winds between and you're walking up to it going, we're entering a city and then you get up to it and you go, 
No, that's just a facade. It's just a bunch of wood. There's nothing behind it. That's what the banquet of folly is like. It's, it's, it's a home that is, that is empty, except for verse 18. It has, has a bunch of dead bodies. It's, it's almost like uh, if, you've, if you've watched a natural disaster unfold on the news on TV and, and bodies, people are trapped and they send in rescue workers, you know, for 24 hours and, and then that dreaded announcement comes, right? The rescue workers finally get to the place where people are trapped and there's no survivors. And that, that's what's being described here. There are, there are no survivors in this home. You know, years ago, I watched uh, the news segment on the rise and fall of a company called U.S. Fidelis. Uh, this was an auto warranty company. And basically what they would do is when your factory warranty would run out on your car, they would swoop in and get you to buy an extended warranty for your car, a very expensive one. Well, the problem is this company that was started by two brothers, the warranty they offered was basically nothing. The fine print. I mean, when people went in to, to cash in on it, there was just nothing there. And so the better, uh, the, the business bureau started getting after them and the U.S. US uh, Attorney General started getting involved and they got a lot of complaints. So guess what these brothers did? The, the name of the company was the National Auto Warranty Service, so they changed their name, the company name, to U.S. Fidelis. And Fidelis is the Latin word for trustworthy. They continued making unsolicited high-pressure phone calls, raking in, I mean, just selling tons of warranties, raking in profit. They built, I believe it was in Colorado, a 27, these brothers, a $27 million home, 43,000 square feet, a bowling alley, an eight-car garage, and a little uh, underground garage of sorts that looked like the garage for the Batmobile in the movie Batman. I mean, just extravagance. Well, finally, the attorney general, they, they, got, they got hold of them. They threw them in jail, these two brothers, for just fraud. Well, after one of the brothers got out of jail years later, he was on the, the steps of the U.S. courthouse, and he got interviewed. And they said to him, they said, what lesson have you learned from the temptation of greed and from the millions upon millions of dollars that you stole from people? What have you learned? Okay, you ready for this reply? After years in jail, be careful how fast you grow as a company and be careful what state you're in, referring to the state of Missouri, and be careful of their agenda. That was the answer. No apology, no remorse, uh, uh, just a, a shifting of blame. That's Lady Folly. And if I can get it a little more close to home, that is exactly what idols and false gods do. They invite you in, they lure you in, they promise satisfaction at great cost to your life. And then when they don't produce and provide, they leave you for dead. If you worship money, this is what will happen. If you worship a career, eventually this is what will happen. If you worship what people think of you, eventually this is what will happen. Right? False gods don't deliver and they leave you for dead. Now let's move on to the, the menu at the banquet of folly. Right? Verse 17, what's on the menu at this banquet? Verse 17, stolen water is sweet. 
Stolen water is sweet. You see, Lady Folly doesn't cook her own meal like Lady Wisdom. She doesn't cook her own meal. What is this really getting at? It's this, that sin and folly are not creatively original. That sin and folly simply take God's truth and something that's good and pervert it and twist it. Right, it's stolen. Sin and folly steal what? They steal sexuality from God, that God made good and beautiful. In the Garden of Eden, he, said, he created it and he said, be fruitful and multiply to my glory. Sin and folly steal sexuality and pervert it and twist it. Right? It's not creatively original. Greed takes what God has made, this beautiful material world he's given us, and twists it for selfish gain. In the garden, what did God do? He created a beautiful garden, a beautiful world. And he said to Adam and Eve, have dominion over it, take care of it, tend it for my glory. Go make wonderful food out of it. Go make beautiful music out of what I've given you. Go make beautiful culture. What does sin and folly do? Takes it, twists it, and offers it to you corrupted to say this is for your selfish gain. Right? That's what it means when, when Lady Folly says stolen water is sweet. And then finally, the invitation. What, what's the invitation? How are you invited to the banquet of folly? It says, come in, steal, and then hide and eat. Look at verse 18. I'm sorry, verse 17, end of it. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant. See what she's saying? A double life is pleasant. Oh, it is so pleasant because you get the best of both worlds. You'll be so happy with a double life. Avoid transparency. Eat a lie and ignore that it's going to kill you one day. Right? That's what's being communicated. That's the invitation is hide and eat. Live a double life. Let me just say in a room of this size that there are probably people in this room who are living double lives. And if that's you, I, 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 wanna, I want you to heed the warning that is given in verse 18. That a double life, a life hidden in secret, a life or two lives where you, you have one and, and you keep one hidden from the other and from people, that that ultimately will lead to the grave. Your marriage will end up in the grave. Your career will end up in the grave. Your family will end up in the grave. And the message is to, to repent. To repent from, from secrecy and hiddenness and come clean to Jesus and confess to him your double life and confess to another person your double life and come clean and find life and get living. That's the message. So you've got the, the banquet of wisdom. You've got the banquet of folly. Now here's the final question. How do you know which one you're eating at? How do you know which table you're eating from? And the reason I ask this question, and it's not a super easy one to answer, is because while these banquets are completely different, there's also a lot of similarities. Right? Notice first that Lady Folly and Lady Wisdom give the invitations from the same location the high places in town, right? So these invitations are coming from the, the same location. Again, like walking down that street in Mexico, invitations all over the place from one spot. And, and second, 
it's the same invitation, at least on the surface, right? Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Whoever's not grounded, whoever's easily misled, turn in here and you'll find happiness, right? So how do you determine what table you're eating from? How do you determine what banquet that you're eating at? And that's what verses 7 to 12 are about. Verses 7 to 12 are the, the litmus test. So verses 7 to 12 are the, the diagnostic, so to speak, that help you figure out where am I where am I feasting? Which banquet am I really eating from? And there's three categories in verses 7 to 12. Uh, humility, worship, and the heart. Now, I'm going to ask some diagnostic questions that dig into those categories because those by themselves aren't enough. I mean, if, I were to, if, if you're trying to figure out where you're feasting and you say, uh, am I humble? Do I worship God? Is my heart good? Yes, 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 right? Those are easy, fairly easy questions. You don't have to Maybe you're not very introspective and you say, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. I'm humble and I'm worshiping and my heart's pretty good. So let me dig in a little bit. Let's start with a category of humility. What do you do when you get corrected? Look at verses seven to eight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Now, when you get corrected, when, when God corrects you or when your spouse corrects you or when your children with respect correct you, how do you respond? Do you say, I love you. Thank you so much for pointing out my weakness. I have never felt so loved in my life before. This is just wonderful. Please correct me again. Now, maybe you do that. The point is this, that if you are uncorrectable or you get defensive when people question you, you're eating at the table of folly. Second category, worship. Now, under worship, I'm gonna ask two diagnostic questions. And, and these questions actually are uh, in your application guide at the bottom, so you can take them home and maybe think further. But with worship, two, two diagnostic questions. The first flows out of the first half of verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear here, meaning honor or respect. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So the question is, what or who do you most honor and respect? Are you... Uh, most awestruck by the God who made sex or the sex that God made? Right? Or uh, are you most awestruck by the God who made work or the work that God made? Or are you most awestruck by the, the dominion or by the God who gave you dominion or by the control and dominion that God gave? You see the difference? And the second diagnostic question under worship comes out of the second half of verse 10. The knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Who do you, who do you long to know and understand? Who do you long to know and understand? 
what occupies your thoughts, your time, your study when you're not here or in community group or in a Bible study? Let me give you a couple examples of this. There is nothing wrong with watching TV. Nothing wrong with watching TV. But if all of your downtime is consumed by watching TV and you spend no time in the Word seeking to know and understand Christ, then you're eating at the wrong table. Uh, Reading books and magazines. There's nothing wrong with reading magazines and reading books. But if you spend an, an inordinate amount of time reading Forbes magazine to enhance your business career, and you're spending no time in the Word seeking to know and understand Christ, you're eating at the wrong table. Uh, Social media. There's nothing wrong with social media. Facebook and all the variations we have today, there's nothing wrong with it. But if you are spending an inordinate amount of time on social media and not spending any time in the Word seeking to know and understand Christ, you're eating at the wrong table. So let's go to the last category, the heart. Flows out of verse 11. Here's the the diagnostic question. Are you becoming more fully alive on the inside? Or are you dying on the inside? Look at verse 11. For by me, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. Are your choices remaking you into the image of Christ or are your choices unmaking you? If you're eating at the banquet of wisdom, you will be coming alive on the inside. If you're eating at the banquet of folly, you will be dying on the inside. Now, here's the problem. I'm speaking of what's on the inside because here's the reality. Your life on the outside can be clicking along. Your your career might be fast-tracking. You might be making a lot of money. You might have a nice house nice cars, uh, you know, healthy children. The outside might look like you're alive as can be. And yet if you are eating at the table of folly on the inside, you're dying. And that is probably true of some of you this morning. You say, everything out here looks great, but on the inside, in in my heart, I'm dying. Now, the opposite can be true. Everything on the outside of your life can be falling apart. I mean, busting apart at the seams. And yet, if you're eating at the banquet of wisdom, you will be coming alive on the inside as everything on the outside seems to be falling apart. As we've seen in Proverbs, as I've said multiple times, wisdom's not a principle. Wisdom is a person. 1 Corinthians 1, Matthew 11 says that Jesus Christ is wisdom. About 200 years after Solomon wrote the Proverbs, the prophet Isaiah gave an amazing interpretation of Proverbs 9. An amazing interpretation of what these two banquets are in light of the Messiah that was to come, in light of the Christ that was to come. And it's in Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 to 8. Isaiah says this, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food 
a feast of well-aged wine. Doesn't that sound familiar? To verse one and two of Proverbs nine, Lady Wisdom, except Isaiah is not speaking of Lady Wisdom. He's speaking of the Lord of hosts, the coming Messiah, the coming Christ. A feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he, the Christ to come, will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. What's that say? It says that Jesus Christ swallowed the banquet of folly. Jesus Christ swallowed that meal. He swallowed death so that in him you can feast on life. And I'll say this, you cannot leave the banquet of folly on your own. You can't. Jesus Christ swallowed it and you have to turn to him and he has to rescue you from it and bring you to his banquet of wisdom. And when Jesus came, he did, he swallowed death and he promised to come back again. But until he came back again, comes back again, he gave us a meal called the Lord's Supper that we're gonna eat this morning. And he says in the Lord's Supper, he says, I want you to feast. Oh, it's a foretaste of a, of a massive meal that's coming in the marriage supper of the lamb when I return, but I want you to feast on the Lord's Supper and I want you to feast on me and I want you to find life. And I will bring you to my table where you eat and find life, no matter what's happening on the outside. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful that you swallowed the meal of folly, that you swallowed the, the banquet of folly and the death that comes with it. And that in you, we are given life, new life, sweet life, fulfilling life, satisfying life. And I pray this morning as we come to the Lord's Supper, Father, that you would meet with us and that as we eat the bread and we, we drink the cup, that this would be a spiritual feast. And for those that maybe are, are here and, and, and convicted of eating at the table of folly and needing rescue, that through this meal, you would rescue them. Christ, we need you. We need you to feed us. We wander so easily and we need to be filled. And we pray this all in Christ's name, amen.